following message is by Dr. Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. The title for the message this morning is The Missing Peace, and I say it's part one because we'll cover the second part of it in our Christmas service next Sunday on the 21st. And so what we want to explore is this whole idea of peace that the Bible talks about. It's a topic that I don't think we cover very much in church, uh, but I think it's an absolutely important issue for the Christian life. And so the way I want to do it this morning is by looking at Paul's teaching on peace to the Philippian believers. And then next week, we're going to take a lot of what I'm going to share about about the Christian perspective of peace and apply it to the story of Joseph and Mary as they prepare to receive uh, the baby Jesus into their life and looking at the Christmas story through that perspective of peace. And so our text this morning is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 13. And I try to create a Christmassy kind of theme. I don't know what to do, so I put a bow on it. All right? so I, I don't know. If, if it doesn't quite strike you as Christmas, I apologize. That was my best shot at making a Christmas slide, okay? Uh, Philippians 4, verses 6 to 13. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any, ex- any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Abundance and need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Amen. Can we pray? Could I actually ask for some water? Let's, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we turn our hearts to you as we ready our hearts for this Christmas celebration coming in just a little while. And it seems like these holidays like Christmas uh, sneak up on us so quickly and in the midst of all the shopping and all the uh, events that we're scheduling with family and friends, um, uh, it all becomes like a blur, Father. And we ask that you would give us the, the stillness within our hearts to just pause at this moment and to spend some time in genuine reflection to think about what it means to celebrate this Christmas holiday, what it really means to find peace within our hearts because of what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me begin by just saying to you, what if I were to ask you, do you have peace 
in your heart right now? Do you, do you feel at peace in your life? This is, I would probably argue, a, a tough question to answer for most of us. Because the truth is, there are probably some areas in your life where you do actually feel pretty content. That things are going about as you would expect them to. That maybe you could even say, all is well. It's okay. Um, on the other hand, I'm guessing that there are areas of your life that don't give you very much peace. Um, little corners of your life that actually kind of worry you a bit. Um, I think the truth is this, is that because we care about people in our life, and because we have a lot of situations that we face in our life that actually matter to us, worry and and anxiety are always waiting around the corner. You see, because if you didn't care, then things wouldn't matter. You know, Um, but we do care. And because so much of our life does matter to us, the peace that we long for is often so fragile and is so easily shattered. That's another way we could say it is that this world has the power to break your heart over and over and over again. It's hard to come out on the other side an optimist. All too often we become pessimistic about our lives. Maybe it's something in your marriage that tears at you, that causes this anxiety, these these worries. I don't know what it's going to look like in our next decade together. Maybe it has something to do with your health. Maybe just one doctor's visit and your entire life has changed. Maybe it's about money that you had thought that at this point in your life you would be more financially stable, that you'd be a little more comfortable when it comes to your finances. But the truth is, you know, like I shared last week, the creditors are knocking at your door, and you're not really sure how this is all going to play out in the end. I have to acknowledge, even in sharing these things, that there are dark corners even in my own heart that I'd prefer not to think about. Um, Even remembering those things can cause my heart to start increasing, beating a little more rapidly. It can put a knot into my stomach and cast a shadow on even my best moments. What ought to be a happy day is turned sour even by the, the memory of some of these things in my life. And that's the truth, isn't it? Is that for most of us, we would rather put these kind of thoughts far away from our mind so that I don't have to have these negative emotions that I don't want to experience of worry and anxiety. And that tendency reveals one of the biggest problems when we talk about this issue of peace because there is a danger of reducing peace to nothing more than an emotion rather than experiencing the true peace that God offers us in His Word. In essence, what I'm saying is is this. The search for peace essentially becomes the avoidance of anxiety or worry when we reduce peace 
to nothing more than an emotion. Dallas Willard says it like this. When we confuse the condition with the accompanying feeling, peace, for example, with the feeling of peacefulness, we very likely will try to manage the feelings and disregard or deny the reality of the conditions. The person who primarily wants the feeling of being loved or being in love will be incapable of sustaining loving relationships, whether with God or with other humans. And the person who wants the feeling of peacefulness will be unable to do the things that make for peace, especially doing what is right and confronting evil. As Willard points out, when you confuse being in love with actual love, then you undermine the very ability to experience that love in a relationship with somebody else. Because what do, what do we call that? We call being in love with love, what? Infatuation, right? And that's a very self-centered exercise. I so like the butterflies in my stomach and the romantic notions of love that in truth, that attitude undermines my ability to engage in a genuinely loving relationship, which in its essence is giving and selfless and surrendering. And he says the same thing is true of peace. When our goal is the emotion of peace, meaning I don't want stress in my life. I want the sense of equanimity, of poise, of calm in my life. When that is the ultimate goal that I am pursuing... I undermine the very nature of finding peace as a condition that is real in my life. So how do we experience the true peace that God promises? Well, Paul goes on in verses 6 to 7 in Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul says, the way that you experience the peace of God is by surrendering all of your anxieties to Him in prayer. Now, in saying that, we need to be really careful how we're hearing this command of prayer. Because for a lot of Christians... What Paul's words basically amount to is this. If you have a worry or a problem in your life, pray to God and he will fix it for you. And once he gets rid of that problem, then you will have peace in your life once again. Now, it very well may be that God would deliver you from the things that you're asking his help with. But I think Paul is saying more than that when he says, bring it to the Lord in prayer. Because what's interesting here is that notice, even in asking us to pray to God about these things, he's saying, be thankful. Give thanks in that prayer, asking for his help. You see, in our heads, the logical order goes something like this. I have a problem in my life that is worrying me, that is giving me anxiety, and so I pray about it and give it to God, asking for his help. Then he answers my prayer and delivers me. And then, as a last and final step, I give thanks to God for his deliverance. But what Paul is actually saying is, is this. 
what you do is you begin with thanksgiving. You start with giving thanks, and what is that suggesting? It's suggest, suggesting, I think, actually a couple things. The first thing that it's suggesting is, when I give thanks even before God hears my prayer and answers it, it's saying two things. It's saying, one, even the situation that I'm in right now, with all of the trouble that I'm experiencing, I receive with thanksgiving. Because I believe that even in this trouble that I'm asking deliverance from, I believe God is in it. And that there is a plan that he has. And I think the other thing that it's implying is is this. Even before I know what God's answer is to my request for help, I give thanks for that answer. Even before I know how he's going to respond to me. What this is saying is, is this. The source of peace lies in a trust in God that in whatever circumstance I am facing in my life, I believe that God intends it for my good. Even if everything doesn't go exactly as I would expect it to or want it to, I still thank Him as an act of faith, believing that there is a purpose for why God would allow such a thing into my life. Dallas Willard again says, My peace is the greatness of God because he who not only loves me but is love is so great. I live beyond harm in his hands and there is nothing that can happen to me that will not turn out to my good. Nothing. I think this becomes one of the most important understandings of peace that God offers. Often we think that in order to have peace in our life, the problems have to be removed. That until these stressors are chased out of my life, I cannot have peace. There always will be anxiety. But that's actually not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't say that peace comes in the absence of problems in your life. But in the midst of them. If you look at verse 7, what continues on, What Paul seems to be implying is that, in fact, even as you pray for his help, there are going to be plenty of times when God's answer is not going to be to rescue you out of those external circumstances that are bothering you. But instead, the suggestion in verse 7 is that he is going to give you a peace that is going to enable you to endure the storm, to overcome the trial that you're going to be asked to go through. That word when he says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This word guard is actually a military word that Paul borrows, which could also be translated as to garrison. And what this word actually means in the military context is when a leader encamps an army to surround a city in order to protect it from an invading army. That is coming. And that is a powerful and wonderful picture of what peace is in the Christian perspective. It's saying that the storms will come. The enemy will attack. But even as we are being assaulted, God's peace will protect us and empower us to be able to endure that trial. And he says that when that peace comes on you, it defies logic. As he says, it surpasses understanding because that peace is not rooted in the circumstances. It's not about solving all the problems of your life so that you have no worry. 
But people will look at you and say, it's illogical. You have no reason to be at peace about this right now. You ought to worry. You ought to be racked with anxiety. So why aren't you? And what Paul says is, that is the peace of God that doesn't always get rid of the storm, but enables you to endure the storm in a way that the world cannot understand. God's peace also comes, Paul says, when we set our minds on the right things. As he goes on in verses 8 to 9, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. The God of peace will be with you. Paul gives us no less than eight different descriptions of the kind of things that we ought to set our minds on in order to experience the peace of God. Now, I could preach a whole sermon on this list of eight things, but for our message today, I really only just want to focus on the first one. Brothers, whatever is true, whatever is true, dwell on that in your mind. And the reason why I think that is important is because when we think about this idea of seeking peace in our lives, The world's perspective on that is very different than the Christian perspective. The world's perspective is basically to reduce it into a technique, into a technique. Let me give you a few examples of the way that the world tells you to find peace. They may say something like this. When you feel anxious, when you feel that anxiety, that angst, that struggle in your heart, listen to some calming music or maybe even sounds of nature and reconnect with the natural world. Or they may say, what you need to do to get rid of worry in your life is you need to visualize peace. And so maybe an exercise that they could offer to you is close your eyes and go to a happy place. You know, the place that you wish you were more than any other place in the world and imagine that you're there. Or they may say, what you need is affirmations. And so the way to find peace is to repeat to yourself over and over again certain phrases of affirmation like, everything is wonderful, everything is okay, I don't have any problems, I am strong, I am strong, I feel calm, I feel calm. Or it could be breathing techniques. Close your eyes and breathe in and breathe out. And breathe in and breathe out. And count to ten and then do that again. You see, the goal of these techniques, what they have in common, is that all of them are basically attempts to manipulate ourselves, to basically bring ourselves into a state of distraction so that the painful realities of life that are causing our worries will be pushed out of our minds. It's like tell yourself over and over again, you are calm, you are calm, you are calm. And just maybe you might become calm if you just tell yourself that enough. You know, it's sort of like saying lie to yourself and try to convince yourself that you're calm. And maybe that calm will eventually come. But the peace of God is not about mind games or trickery or manipulation. It's about believing what is actually true. In 2 Peter 1, verses 16 to 18, It says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths 
when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him to the, by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. You see, Peter and Paul and all these other writers of the scriptures were adamant about this. Saying, these are not just mind games to help us to religion as relief from the pain of life. This is not mental trickery or psychological counseling to help us feel better. Saying, we write these things because these things were real. We were witnesses. We were there. We were on that mountain when the glory of God was shown through His Son, Jesus Christ. We are willing to put our lives on the line for this, not because it gives us a peace in our heart, because it makes us feel better and we can sleep better at night. We commend these things to you because we were eyewitnesses to the very events for which we are willing to die. In other words, we should believe these things not because they can offer us peace of mind, but because they are true. And the ultimate truth that gives us peace is revealed in the closing words of Paul in verses 10 through 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to, be, uh, and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You see, when Paul penned these words, he was not sipping a latte in a cafe in Rome. He was in prison. He was chained to a Roman guard. And he was not sure if he would live to see another year in his life. And yet even in that dire situation, he tells the Philippian Christians that he discovered the secret of how to be locked in a prison facing death and still be calm and have a peace that surpasses the circumstances that he faces. And he found it not in the strength of his own obedience, but as he says, in the work of Christ alone, through whom he says he can do all things. You see, D.A. Carson says it like this. We hear this command not to worry, and we smile piously, grit our teeth, resolve not to worry, and promptly begin to worry about not worrying. You see? What Carson is saying is is true, isn't it? Don't worry as a command alone doesn't actually free anybody. It just makes you feel worse because you realize that's just one other thing I cannot do. And so it's just adding to the list of things that bring anxiety in your life. On top of every other way that I fail in my life, I still worry and cannot trust. You see, we cannot will ourselves into a state of peace. Peace is something that God alone can give to us as a gift. As Paul says, the secret that I have discovered is found in this person of Jesus Christ who gives me strength and enables me to endure all things. 
You know, in the beginning of the message, we looked at this quote from Dallas Willard talking about the need to be able to distinguish between the emotion of peace and the condition of peace. So often, our focus is on the emotion of peace when we should actually be concerned more with the condition of peace that is lacking in our lives. Let me say it like this. The opposite of peace as an emotion is what? What is the opposite of peace as an emotion? It's anxiety or worry, isn't it? But the opposite of peace as a condition is what? It's hostility or, frankly, war, right? That's the opposite of peace as a condition, not as an emotion. It's hostility or war. And what the Bible tells us is that because of our sin, our condition with God is not one of peace, but of hostility. We don't have peace with God. We are at war with God because of our sin. In other words, the biggest problem is not that we don't feel peace in our heart. The biggest problem is that we actually don't have peace as a condition with our Creator, the God who made us. But that is the gospel message that Jesus purchased the actual condition of peace with God by taking the punishment that we deserved on himself on the cross. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 11. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Meaning, through Jesus and his work on the cross, you not only have a peacefulness in your heart, you actually have real peace with God, which is at the center of every peace that you are actually looking for in your life. I want to sort of cast what Paul is saying here in this perspective. When you read through the Gospels and examine the life of Christ, I want to make an argument that Jesus in his life demonstrates a man who knew peace more than anyone who walked this earth. Wouldn't you agree? No matter what challenge or trial confronted him, he had this poise, this calm, this equanimity about him that he never got rattled. He never got shaken, and I think the foundation of that was the fact that he knew in his heart of hearts that he was loved by his father. I think the classic picture of that is when he's in a storm, in a boat, and all of the other disciples think that they're going to die, and they're screaming for their life. And Jesus is sleeping at the bottom of that boat like a baby. I don't know what you guys are so fretting about. Do you really think that God is going to let you be harmed in this? So Jesus walks his entire life as a man of peace, as a man who knew peace and didn't have a worry in the world 
because he trusted in his father. But here is the thing. As Jesus begins to approach his death, we begin to see that peace that he knew his entire life become unraveled. And it's actually rather disturbing to read the accounts of it in the Gospels. All of that peace suddenly seems to vanish, and it's replaced by actual anxiety and worry, and the truth is actually terror. And we see it begin in Gethsemane when Jesus begins to break down emotionally and he starts to cry uncontrollably because he doesn't want to go to the cross. And he says, God, if there is any other way, don't make me go through this. Please, don't do this to me. And the peace and the calm that Jesus had known his entire life is nowhere to be found now. It is replaced by fear and worry and terror. Donald McLeod captures it like this. It is clear from all the accounts that Jesus' experience of turmoil and anguish was both real and profound. He came within a hair's breadth of breakdown. When Moses saw the glory of God on Mount Sinai, so terrifying was the sight that he trembled with fear. But that was God in covenant, God in grace. What Christ saw in Gethsemane was God with the sword raised. The sight was unbearable. The wonder of the love of Christ for his people is not that for their sake he faced death without fear, but for their sake he faced it terrified. Terrified by what he knew and terrified by what he did not know. What the emotional content of this forsakenness actually was, it is impossible for us to know. What is certain is that Golgotha was more awful than Jesus had envisaged in Gethsemane. He felt forsaken, and he was forsaken. In other words, there's no way to spin this positively. There's no way to try to put Jesus in a better light. The truth is, he fell apart. He became a mess when he finally went to that cross. He didn't go up there <laughs> bravely. He went up there terrified. Where was the peace then? And the culmination of his falling apart and his emotional distress came in what theologians call the cry of dereliction. When on the cross, he screamed out, no longer capable of calling God his father. Every other time, every other time that Jesus refers to God in the Gospels, he refers to him as father, as Abba. But in this moment, he finds that he can no longer call God father. And so he screams on the cross a cry of pain and abandonment. And he says, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Now, here's the thing. When you see how Christ fell apart on the cross, it's very tempting to say, well, that shows that he was unfaithful, that he was weak, that he failed. But that is not why he fell apart. He fell apart because the peace the condition of peace that he had known his entire life was stripped from him on the cross. Why was it stripped from him? 
because he took our place and received the punishment that we deserve. Because the entire life of Christ was characterized by the Father saying, this is my Son whom I loved, with whom I am well pleased. But on the cross, the Father could no longer stand to look at His Son. Because when He saw His Son, He saw our sin, and He turned away in disgust. And for the first moment, Christ experienced what you and I experience. What it feels like to be alienated from God, to be His enemy, to not have peace with God. And he bore the sins and the guilt of the entire world. And because he experienced that, we don't have to experience that. Because he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. That's why in Romans 5, verse 1 through 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Do you see the connection he made? Because Jesus purchased peace with us, and God, even our trials, even our suffering, we no longer have to worry about. Because even our pain has meaning. Even our difficulties are for our good. Why? Because God is for us, not against us. And that is the bedrock foundation of the peace of the Christian life. No matter what I go through, no matter what happens in my life, God is for me. And this is the meditation of the Christian that brings genuine, lasting peace that surpasses understanding. Romans 8, verse 31 to 32. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And even as Jesus himself told his disciples when he talked about his impending death. John chapter 16, verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That is the promise of Jesus Christ to you if you would believe in him. In this world you will have trouble. I am not going to rescue you from every difficulty that you're going to face in life. But understand that because of what I did on the cross, you have peace with God because of the suffering that I endured. And when you have that, you have the assurance that everything works for your good. Some centuries back, there was a man by the name of Blaise Pascal. He is arguably one of the most brilliant Christian thinkers that the church has ever known. He's alive during the 17th century. He was a brilliant mathematician. Some of his work is actually the foundation of our understanding of mathematics to this very day. He was a brilliant physicist. He was an inventor, a philosopher. And he wrote some very powerful, logical arguments for the faith. 
But the interesting thing about Blaise Pascal is that he never put his confidence in his intellect or his ability to rationally argue the faith. But just like the testimony of the Apostle Paul and the testimony of every genuine disciple who walked, the peace that he experienced in his life came simply from the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Blaise Pascal did something interesting. He wrote his testimony of the day of his conversion on this parchment. And then he had a tailor take that parchment of the story of his salvation, and he had him sew it under the lining of the coat that he wore every day. And every time that he bought a new coat, he had that parchment taken out, and he had it sewn into his new coat. And he did this until the very day that he died. And this is what he wrote on that parchment, what was captured that was the bedrock source of the peace that Blaise Pascal experienced in his life. This is not the whole thing he wrote, but it's just part of it. In the year of grace, 1654, on Monday, 23rd of November, from about half past 10 in the evening until about half past 12, fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and scholars. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ, forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God, joy, 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 tears of joy. This is eternal life that we might know thee, the only true God, and the one whom thou hast sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. I think we all need to acknowledge that probably in truth, our search for peace is much more in the domain of the emotion of peace. And I think, truth be told, for most of us, the search for peace is the search to eliminate worry and anxiety from our life. And I think in our heads we feel like the only way that that's ever going to happen is if we can fix the problems in our life and solve, get rid of all of the things that are distressing us. But when we read to the truth of God's Word, what Scripture actually says is it doesn't really work that way. If you're waiting for that day when God is going to miraculously solve every problem that you're facing, that day very well may never come for you until the day you die. But what the Bible says is this, that when you come to Him with all the burdens of your heart in prayer, with thanksgiving, trusting in His goodness and everything in your life, that He will garrison your heart He will surround your heart with his peace like an army encamped around a city and will give you a peace that defies understanding, logic, circumstances. That even in the midst of that storm, you are solid like a rock, unshakable, unmovable, filled with a joy unexplainable. That to me is one of the most important hallmarks of a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. 
And the reason why we can know a peace like that is because Christ was denied that peace on the cross. The only one who actually lived a life worthy of experiencing that peace was denied that peace. Because on that cross, he took your place and mine. And the truth is, when you read the gospel accounts, Christ became a mess, a wreck. He fell apart. But it was not because of his own weakness or his unfaithfulness that he went to the cross in that condition. It's because he bore your sin and mine. And the anxiety that haunts us became his own. And because he was terrified, we no longer have anything to fear in life. Because as Paul says, if God is for you, who can be against you? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And as Christ himself said to us, as a promise to everyone who would put their trust in him. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. As we approach the Christmas holiday in just less than a couple weeks, can I just invite you even in this moment of worship to just bow before the Lord. Say, God, I cast my cares upon you. I feel this restlessness, this lack of peace in my own heart. And I want to surrender to your lordship. I want to surrender to your goodness and your commitment to me. And I want to claim the promise that you've given to us in your word. Never would you forsake us. Never would you leave us. God, I need that assurance in my life right now. Would you come to me through the work of your Holy Spirit and do that work in my life? right now. Could you just pray that for a few minutes and give whatever burdens are on your heart to the Lord right now? And in just a little bit, our worship team will close us in a time of worship.